Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the church five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you started trying to reach, huh? But after him who was able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. That's 
So very true. Yes, sir. So, um, uh, so can I call you, Joe? Yes, sir. That's perfectly fine. All right, Joe. Well, uh, I, you know, I have I have your bio in front of me, but I, I like to have our listeners hear, you know, directly from the guest himself. So, can you take a minute and and tell our guests, our listeners, you know, who is Joe Potosi? Okay. Um. I am a husband and father. I have two sons. I work at a local university. I am a college pastor. I'm actually youth in college. I've been holding that position up until recently for just over seven years. But I've been in the ministry since 1997, um, giving back to my community um, in the context of the church. And I volunteered at a nursing home for 14 years, the jails, halfway houses, um, as well as a, um, just overall just trying to make a difference in the, the area in which I live. Because you alluded to it before, it's just um, there's so many bad things taking place. And I've come to believe that we all can make a difference. Each and every one of us can make a difference to make things better. But many of us choose not to. Right. Right. I think they should really start putting more iron in the water, and maybe that would give people a little bit more steel and character. I believe that, sir. And, you know, where you are, you can probably agree with me. I remember back in the day, our neighbors, you know, you would see them, interact with them, and it seemed like they cared about you, you cared about them. But nowadays, it's just like, you you know, everyone's kind of, they isolate themselves or they just stay to themselves. And if you're going through some issues, you know, that's your problem. That's not my problem, you know. And there's been a shift in our country, and it's extremely unfortunate. But the thing is, whatever conditions we're facing in our lives or we've been through in our lives, it doesn't have to be our conclusion, right? Right, and that's what I wanted to get. I want, yeah, I had wanted to get in that too. One second, I just want to chime in here right now too. You know, a lot of that stuff, man, we can kind of put on our society and 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 politics. um, You know, taking religion out of schools, a lot of stuff that we came up with that actually kind of gave us certain you know core values and uh, respect for our neighbors. And, um, you know, the the old thing where it, it took a village to raise a child, you know, where your neighbors could, you know, discipline you, so to speak, uh, uh, for your parents, and your parents would appreciate it. I mean, it was just a whole different time then than it is now. So it's it's a whole lot that kind of, you know, plays into that. And, 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 you know, what you're saying, people are more into Self now, I guess I don't know if it goes to uh, self survival or self preservation or you know they just don't give a dog on about the next person. I don't, I don't really know where this whole thing is coming from that we're dealing with right now. I guess I spent a lot of time trying to find a solution, though, how not to fall um, a, a victim or should I say with that same mindset. You know, because it's, it's really easy to see somebody, and you see it all the time. You could be driving down the street, and you see somebody stumble and fall, or an elderly person need help, and instead of just pulling over for a second and helping them, you know, you kind of like play like they don't exist and go on down the street. And I see people doing that every day, and I, and I think that's a shame. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. But uh, for our listeners, in case you lost, which we hope you're not, um, the title of our show today is Your Condition Does Not Have to Be Your Conclusion. And, Joe, I'll let you take it over from right there. 
Okay, before we get started, I want to thank you again. I want to thank your staff and just the, everything you're doing to make, you know, to make a difference. And I did a little bit of research about yourself, and I'm just honored for this opportunity. And um, I, too, want to help people and, you know, make that difference because, especially these young people coming up, they're, it's obvious, they are our future, right? Yes. So I want to thank you. Kind of of scary, too, and and I definitely appreciate you for that, man, because, I mean, it's it's really heartfelt, and, you know, it goes a long way. Um, I kind of feel like this is my pulpit. You know, some people have a church, but I think this is my church. Um, try to help as Absolutely. many people as we can and try to touch as many people as we can and try to have guys that come on like uh, yourself and with your testimony, your story. I mean, because that's really right. what people can hear and that's really what resonates with people. I know we could always speak out of a book, but when you speak from life experiences, I think it goes to a different place. Yes, sir. So, if I can assume a little of my story, if that would be okay? Sure. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. So, as a young child, <clears throat> under the age of five, we were, I lived in Rockford, Illinois, not very far from Chicago, about an hour. And we're a pretty poor family. And um, we lived in a pretty dilapidated apartment and we got accepted into these housing projects that were relatively new. And that was a step up for us. You you remember the Jeffersons, the television program, moving on up? Hey, most definitely. (laughs) So it was a moving on up for us, right? And, but in a period of, a short period of time, my dad, who, Although I was really young, I remember how he loved us, me and my sister. My mom was pregnant with her third child. Things began to unravel with their relationship. And one day, he went out the front door, and this man, who would eventually become officially my stepfather, came out, came in the back door the same day. So growing up up in the 70s, my mother, a white woman, my stepdad was a black man. And that was really frowned upon, you know. This wasn't really accepted like it is today. And it was wrong back then not to be accepted. I mean, that's just the way people thought, I guess. But some people in my family as well kind of disowned us, pushed us away because of that. So wow. the, the love act, I'm sorry? No, I would just say, wow, you know, it's unfortunate, right. but that happens a lot. It does happen a lot. And I can't say all of Mike's in the family, but there was some that didn't appreciate the fact that she was with a, a man of color, and they let it be known to him, known to her. And there was that added stress on the family. So, but the love I experienced from my from my father, my real father, and my mother, this, you know, my dad left and my mom changed. It was like a, a switch. She was fueled by alcohol and weed, as as was he, and um, he began to beat her. I mean, really beat her. He was six five, three fifty. She was four foot eleven. 110 pounds, maybe something wet. Broke her jaw, broke her collarbone. I can go on and on. But when he wasn't beating her, he was taking it out on me and my sister. And there was this phrase. Then it was my mom's turn. She would beat me because he beat her. Everything became my fault. You know, the fact that we had no food. It wasn't because they drank all the money away or because he didn't work, because he did not, but it was because of me. 
because I was a representation or a reminder to them of my father. I looked like him. I talked like him. I acted like him. And I would ask, when, when is dad coming home, you know? And so when we moved into the projects, my mom had a brand-new baby, a little boy named Marty. And she got I – mean, let me back it up. So she got pregnant with Marty and Greg are 11 months apart. So, so Marty was only two months old when she got pregnant again with my brother Greg. And when my stepfather left, or when my father left, Greg was still in the womb, right? So a short time later, she had her, her fourth child, Greg, and then she had two sons by my stepdad. But the thing that the one thing that never changed but remained constant was the fact that we were kept locked in the basement. We were allowed outside only to go to school and from time to time to go to the rec center or this or that. We all know about the bully on the block, right? The bully in the schoolyard, the bully. Uh, how, how long? How long? What? How long a period were you locked in the basement? How long did that uh, uh, take place? How, how long a period per day? You mean or? I mean, no, no. I mean, was that going for years, or was this this? I mean, it keep. You know, I mean, was it a period of time where you guys were kept down there? Yes, sir. Um, so for about twelve to thirteen years in total. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where I was going. Wow. So basically, my mother would work through like temp services, right? Typically, second shift, and my stepdad would send us all down to the basement. And we were still living in the projects. Our room, our bedrooms were upstairs, but we had a little black and white TV, and we were sent down there, and he kept us locked down there. And oftentimes, he would leave for hours. And we had no way of getting out in case there was ever a fire or any of those types of things. The only time we were let up was to have dinner, take a bath, and then we were sent right back down to the basement. Now, there's something called Stockholm Syndrome where, you know, you kind of become acclimated to this. I mean, my four younger brothers never knew what life was like before. You know, when my real father was around, there was no such thing as being locked away or being beaten with the ironing cord or with a wooden paddle or just um, things of that nature. And it was their normal, you know. I wanted to make a difference. My stepdad always said he was going to get us out of the projects because, as you can imagine, there was a stigma, right, put on you. If you live in a project, you must be a certain kind of people or whatever. So in third grade, I I got a job working for a local restaurant Every Saturday, you know, during the spring and summer, fall, I'll, every Saturday I'll sweep the parking lot, clean the glass on the entry, entry door and all that for $2. And and I'll give the money to my mom because I want to help her out. I want to, you know, she kept telling me everything was my fault, so I wanted to fix the problem. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I did wrong. I just knew I wanted my father back. And I just knew that this man was beating her, and he was beating me, and he was a pretty evil individual. So he did get us out of the projects, um, and th- th- ironically, we moved to the west side of Rockford, right behind another project. <laughs> the only thing separating us from those projects was like an alley. We moved to the projects now. I need to say that I wanted to all the all this time. I was hoping my dad would come back. I was hoping my dad would be like a superhero, like Superman or Spider Man, and come and save the day, you know, and set things right. Except my two youngest brothers, and we can be back together as a loving family. But up until this point, that never happened. Um, 
And so we moved out of the projects into a real house, but a house is not a home if there's no love, right? Right. All of us boys had bedrooms in the basement. We had a little black and white TV. We had a toilet. And that's where the washing dryer was. And the pattern continued. My mom would work second shift. He would keep us literally locked in the basement until he wanted to be around us, until it was time for dinner. The way this worked was he get home from school, he would say, hit it, which meant grab some saltine crackers, some cheese slices, some water, and go to the basement. And once all of us kind of so did your mom school, did, did, you, did your mom know that this is what he was doing when she was gone? Absolutely, she knew. When she get home, when she get home from work, ten thirty or so, she would unlock, the first thing she would do is she would lock that basement door. My kid brothers would hear her, and they would wake up or rustle out of bed and run up and greet her. So she was fully aware. She was an active participant in what was taking place. And um, it was really messed up. So I got a job as a paper boy because, again, my stepdad still didn't work. Um, but I don't know how he had money to drink a, a fifth of V&J brandy a day and smoke weed. He had money and to do the, all these things, but not money for food. And eventually they had a bankruptcy. But before I get to that part, I got a paper out, and I'll never forget. It was 188 papers every day, Monday through Saturday, and 266 papers on Sunday. So I'm in fifth grade, and through all this, you know, delivering newspapers, in the winter I got jobs selling people snow. I would stash my money away, but... I gave the majority of it to my mother to help her with the bills or whatever because I was tr- still trying to keep the peace with her, you know? Right. Um, and he started taking the money from me or he could take it from her. And I got sick and tired of that, you know, so I quit. I quit the paper out. So on a Saturday night, I really couldn't tell you where everybody was at. My sister and brothers were not there at the house, but I was I woke up to my stepdad playing his blend of temptations. I go up there and sheepishly ask him if he can turn the music down. He was sitting at the kitchen table cleaning his thirty eight caliber handgun and he tells me to have a seat. So I sit down, I'm shaking in my boots, I'm scared. I was always afraid of him. As I mentioned before, he was the bully. He was the bully on the block. Right. This is the bully I live with. Um, he came back and he asked me a simple question. He said, why did you quit the, the paper out? I didn't have an answer. And I heard him, you know, doing stuff to the gun. I looked up and he was putting the bullets back in it. And he goes, give me one reason why I shouldn't pull the trigger. And I'm really scared now. And then click. I instantly peed my pants as I ran downstairs and I hid behind the furnace where I knew he couldn't get to me. So this was my life. This is how my life had been going ever since he came to my life. And it started to take a toll, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I mentioned I had four younger brothers, and his two sons, Andre and Leon, emulated me, acted like me, talked like me, and that's only because I spent so much time with him. Their dad didn't. He was still busy running the streets, slinging dope, I found out later, um, not investing in the the lives of his children. Um, And he couldn't stand that. But there came a point in time, I started having these thoughts every day, I wanted to take my own life. And I had not had this opportunity. One day, they all went to the park without me, so I went to the bedroom looking for this gun. I figured they can clean up the mess. 
I'm tired of the way I'm being treated, not just not just by him, but by her too. I couldn't find a gun, and I went back downstairs, and that's when I believe, with all of my heart, it was God telling me, you need to be there for your sister and brothers. I need to back up and just tell you one quick thing. Ever since we lived in the projects from like second and third grade on, after school, there was a after school program at a local church. And I loved to go to this program. My mom gave me and my sister to be okay to go. Not only did I love to go because it kept me away from the house where it was a living hell, but I would always offer to stay later to help clean up. I never wanted to leave because at school and at this after school program, I felt safe. I wasn't being berated. I wasn't being threatened, all these things, right? And they shared with me the story of Jesus Christ, right? This is the thing, though, sir. I couldn't trust my mother or my stepfather. How can I trust a God I can't see, feel, or touch? So after I took this paper out, I had that those suicidal tendencies and wanted to take my own life. And we know today that's an epidemic. And my my message to people is that there's nothing so bad, so awful that you have to end your own life. You have value and significance. You have importance. There's people in your life and your sphere of influence that you can impact for for the better, you know? So my mom, go ahead, sir. No, I was going to tell you, I think we have a caller. Uh, Let me let them in and, and see who they are, and maybe they may have a question so to add to your thing here. Okay. Uh, 208, you're on. Hey, hey, how you doing? Good afternoon. This is uh, Greg, uh, Joel's little brother. Just calling in to uh, give him a little support. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Hello, Greg. How you doing there, Joel? I'm doing pretty good, your man. Story, your, thank your, you. your, sto- your story moves, you know, our story moves me every time I hear it. As soon as I, as soon as I, uh, Forget it, I get reminded of it, but uh, I'm real proud of what you're doing, getting your message out, and I think if you can just reach one person, you know, that's gone through what you've gone through and give them a little sense of hope and inspiration that, you know, we can overcome, you can overcome, anyone can overcome. So I appreciate what you're doing, big brother. Thank you so much, man, and you're so right. And I want to definitely say uh, we all appreciate you guys' courage and, and strength to bring this message forward because there's so many people uh, in this world that's dealing with uh, some type of abuse, whether it's mental, physical, uh, uh, sexual abuse, and uh, uh, there's all different types of trauma. And, you know, society, for one reason or another, um, I, I don't know what to say about it. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, what do you think? I've I've always been taught to deal with situations head up, man up, you know, and today it seems like society became weak uh, a, a lot of different ways. Well, That's I think what's, happening to our, what's happening to our youth, and like you said, the, the physical and the psychological abuse and the sexual abuse is just it's an epidemic of society. And I often think, like, what is the root of all of this, you know, and how can this be eradicated from our society? And unfortunately, you know, I don't think we've come up with the solution or solve the tackle that problem because, you know, it, it may sound cliche, but children are, you know, they are our future. You know, we're all we're all getting up there, um, and it's it, it's a horrible problem. It's too many. There's too many commercials. There's just too many commercials. You know. You know. There's life, and then you got commercials, and you got things that, um, you know, derail you, and then uh, (laughs) too many commercials. I love that. Can I I steal that off you? Too many commercials. I like that. Yeah. You know, life has too many commercials now. 
You know, and that was one of my questions too. Um, you know, and I'm glad you called in because you know I was sitting here wondering, uh, listening to Joe, and I'm like, well, um, were the siblings? You know, how did they survive this, and 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 how did they overcome? Well, I was just gonna say, Greg was another target of my stepfather's. So, Greg, you want to share how you persevered? Um, by the grace of God, man. I mean, that's that's really, you know, I'm not a Bible thumper or nothing like that, but it's a miracle. Um, you know, we talk about the siblings or six of us, and statistically, you know, uh, this this type of abuse is like genetics. It spreads from one generation. It's passed from one generation to the next, and they just perpetrate the same crimes that were perpetrated on them. So statistically, you know, I'll be, you know, children beaters and this, that, and the other, but Hello. I think we lost Greg, Joe. Oh, that's too bad. I'm sure he'll call back. I'm sure he'll call. So, yeah, but what he he was saying something that was important that you you know the behavior you know is 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 moved on from generation to generation, and people really have to make a conscious effort not to. To uh, allow that and let that happen, and you know, because we see it with you know a lot of uh, even even the gangbangers out there now. You know, they have some type of abuse. If you really look at them and look back at their family structure and how they came up, you know, they were dealing with some type of abuse, and they just perpetrated on others. And the family that they found was the family that was out in the street. Absolutely. When I was in high school, I um, you know. To be honest with you, sir, um, I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for somewhere where I would belong. People would accept me for me. You know, and just like the average guy, there was girls I liked, you know, mm-hmm. as I was going through puberty or whatnot. But, you know, in my mind, I mean, my, my, my self-worth, my self-esteem was shot because I'm thinking to myself, maybe they think what they believe what my mom and stepdad tell me that I'm garbage, I'm a piece of crap, I'm nothing, I'm never going to be nothing, I'm an idiot, I am my father's son. And so it really, really affected me in a lot of different ways. Eventually, I won't get into all the details, but I'll just say this. Eventually, we left my stepfather, right? But up until then, I mean, you know, we moved to this house behind us on the west side of Rockford. I thought, you know, maybe me and my stepdad could start it over and I can try harder and work harder and just stay out of his way. It just got, kept getting worse and worse and worse. To the point, I, I remember times when my mother would get drunk and they would get, and, and by the way, I'd only, see my, uh, I'd only see my real father maybe once a summer. I was allowed to go to Dubuque, Iowa, where my family is from, his family is from. Then somehow, some way, he would come to his parents' house and he would see those kids, you know. And there was like, when I was in that in, in his presence and I was with loved ones and I know were going to beat me, that became my safe place, right? At my grandparents' house, my aunt Grace's house, I've, and I never wanted to leave. Um, but I always hated going back to the trenches because when I go back to the trenches. I, I say, I, I mean, I would tell my grandparents and I would tell my father. Hello, Greg. Okay. No. Go, ahead, go ahead, keep going, keep going, Joe. Oh, okay. Right. I'll just um, jump in there when you're done. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Um, when I would go to these places to my loved ones and tell them what was taking place with me and my siblings, they failed me. Instead of calling me authorities, social services, they would call my stepdad and my mom and cuss them out. Right, and they were just kind of out of sight, out of mind. They wouldn't do anything else. The school system failed me. In fact, the church failed me as well. When we cried out to the people at church, instead of them contacting the proper authorities, they did not. But eventually, we left my stepdad, and it was all six of us kids living together with my mom. Now, I think I. 
I think I, I I set the foundation of the fact that my stepdad was a beast. I mean, he was a monster. But things with my mom got worse to the point that I actually asked my stepdad if I can live with him. His own kids didn't live with him. His his son, my tia and his brothers lived with us. But this, that's just how bad things became. Mm-hmm. Greg, did you want to say something? Well, you know, ultimately, you know, I would like there there should be more of a a discussion on how these problems can be resolved. I think it's a failure of leadership of men in this country and in our culture, because what we're facing here is like you hear these awful like Katrina, natural disasters, and you see this devastation. Well, I see all these young men coming up in single-family homes, abusive things. They are all going to be adults someday. They are going to walk amongst us. And so it is in our best interest as a society, as a people, to start wrestling with these problems because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a human game. You can build all your computers. You can have your airplanes. You can have all this fancy stuff. But at the end of the day, it's a human game. And, and the main ingredient of the human game is, is coming online, and, and a lot of them are abused. Uh, they're, they're, they're lost. You know, I watched a – real, real quick, if I may, I remember years ago watching a show in Africa. Uh, there was a documentary on Africa, and they couldn't figure out why all these young rhinos were dying. They didn't were shot. Their horns were on them. Finally, they figured out that these adolescent elephants were playing with them and laying on them and killing them. And to solve the problem, they brought in some big males from other parks. And the big males, the first thing they did when they got there, they said, uh-uh, we don't do that. This is how this is how we conduct ourselves as elephants in this land, and this is how we deal with our neighbors. Well, that's missing. And by the, by the grace of God, and, and there were some adult males that came into my life that really made an impact in my life, that showed me another way, that shamed me when I was thinking this is the right way to go, because that's all I knew. Um, so I, I, I think there needs to be a huge dialogue on a national level to deal with this problem. This is a big problem. This is, it's bigger than the debt. It's bigger than the politics. It's bigger than anything. We've got millions and millions and millions of young men in particular coming up that are just out of control. And uh, I'm not making excuses for them, but that's the world they've been living in. And men, you know, have not uh, basically stood their ground and did the right thing in this culture. And I think we're going to pay a hell of a price. Right, Greg, Joe. I think we got a couple other callers, man. Let me let me let them chime in. All right. Hey, peace uh, and love, bro. Thank you. Hey. Okay. Hey, don't go nowhere. Don't go nowhere, Greg. Four seven zero. You're on. Four seven zero. Did you want to speak? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. You know, I thank God for this program today because it is so true. And this brother, I think his name is Joe. Is that right? Yes, sir. His brother said something that made a lot of sense. It's all about God. God is the one that was keeping y'all, all of you. Amen. And Hallelujah. Amen. And he said something about uh, the reason it's such a problem with the youth is because you got young people, you got babies trying to raise babies. How can a, I know that's right. a, a young girl at 14, 15, 16 raise a baby? That, that's the Pretty problem in the earth. Amen. And, and man, I'm going to tell you, brother, just hold on to God's unchanging hand, and he will continue to bring you out and your family out. In Jesus' name. And as Amen. far as the generation of curses, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the generation of curses are gone. Amen. All right, uh, Brother Patterson. All right, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the call. But uh, continue okay. to listen. Don't go nowhere. Okay, I'm going to listen. <laughs> All right, appreciate it. Man, see, your story is already touching people, Joe, all over the world. You just don't know. But you know, sir, this is the thing. God gets all the glory, man. Now, I want to tell you 
I want to touch on the fact, you know, why I wrote this book. Before we give get us that, the title of the book. So. Give, give, oh, give us the title of the book too, Joe. Okay, the title of the book is "When the Dust Settled." Between a rock and a hard place, and it can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Zulon Press. Um, the reason I wrote the book is because of the way the whole process started. I um, I was a I was a, I had two small sons, and I was still trying to uh, work out work some things out. I was a relatively new Christian. And I still had some lingering effects of everything I went through, PTSD and whatnot. And what I discovered was by writing a book or writing a journal, I would, I would put pen to paper about what I endured. And when I would get to those extremely traumatic events such as this, so let, me, let me share one story that happened at least a half a dozen times. My mom, a stepdad would get drunk. He would beat her up bring her to my room, throw her in my bed, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm like a sixth grade, fifth grade when it first started, and I'm so still I'm not breathing, right? He would throw her in my bed and tell me to screw her, have sex with your mother, my mother. Of course, I didn't, and when he would leave, she's, and she would start crying and wailing about how she's going to die in my arms. So I would stay up all night, listen for her heart beat, feel, you know, try to find a pulse. And I was like, why is all this happening, right? So when I, I wrote that stuff down, it was a journal, and I would, read, I would read it out loud. And when I would get to those traumatic events, it was it was like all of a sudden I hit a brick wall. And the floodgates opened up. I started crying like a baby. I guess my point is it was very therapeutic for me to to do this, you know, to do this journal. And I came to the realization if I was to write a book, it can help people. And my whole mindset has been if it helps one person, it serves its purpose. And I know I know it's helped a lot of people. And you mentioned before about the courage it takes to talk about this topic. It takes a lot of courage to put it down in book form and to be transparent and to be, you know, brutally honest. There's things in this book that I'm not proud of. I mean, I'm talking about stuff that, you know, I endured as a child and things that I went through that were not fun for me or my siblings. But I listened to you also before about how I would get involved with church after school programs, and we began to go to church. Church became an outlet for me. I remember me and my brother Greg and my brother Marty, we used to go underneath the basement stairs and have what we thought was a Bible study, right? And we always felt like we got something out of it. Not really understanding what we what I was doing or what we were doing or what we were comprehending, but so the time came, like I said, when I was living with just my mother and my sister went off to college, and things were so terrible. I asked my stepdad. I saw him in the projects at his mother's house if I can live with him. He just laughed in my face and walked away. That's when I decided I have to do something with my life. And I started the second book. Um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but um, I do go into the Navy. And I, I want to talk about young men, though. So um, fast forward. So I got married in 1996. I became a born-again believer in 1997. Now, up until this point, I always thought I was a Christian. I knew about Jesus, I knew about God, but there's a huge difference between knowing, even Satan knows. You don't think Satan knows about God and Jesus? Of course he does. Of course. Better yes. than we do. Yes, 
Mm-hmm. But that's right. It, it was a heart belief. It's like, so I'm trying to picture where you're at right now. You must be in some type of studio. So, Mr. Patterson, when you came in today to perform the show, you sat on that chair, right? Correct. Without thinking much of it. That chair has to hold your weight. That's that's trust. <laughs> Excuse me. You're putting trust in something. You don't know if it's going to collapse and you fall on the floor. You don't know that. It's blind faith, right? So I came I to that place. A, I know it could be. I just know it could be a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I can I, I let me uh, chime in here one first... second. Let me, Joe. Let me just let me just chime in here one second, man. And I apologize, man. When something on my heart, man, I just got to speak on it. I mean, again, man, I want to thank you guys, man, because you know what? One of the one of the 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 greatest tools that abusers have is to shame the people that they're abusing. You know what I mean? Though a lot of these people that have been abused, they can't they don't have the a strength of they I'm not they haven't found it yet to come forward to do what you guys are doing now. And I just want our listeners to understand that. It's it's easy to have a situation and not talk about it. But it takes another kind of moral fiber and strength to be man and woman enough to stand up and, and, and deal with these things, man. And, and I know it's hurtful, man. And I know every time you guys talk about it, man, I know it's like jerking on your heartstring. And I, and I know you don't want to talk about it. But then in order to get past it, you have to talk about it. And that takes another kind of strength. And I just want to applaud you guys again for that. And I'm sorry for that, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you so very much. Go ahead. No, I'm done. I just had to say that, Joe. Okay. So listen. So you can go ahead. (laughs) You know, um, I don't know if Greg remembers this, but it happened probably at least a dozen times. My stepdad liked to make fun of me, or he liked to make me, he liked to put me on front street. Do stuff to me to make me look like an idiot or whatever. And one of the things he loved to do was now remember this man was six five three fifty. He would put on these. I mean, I used to like to watch boxing. I liked Ali. I liked Frazier, etc. And so did he. So he decided, my stepdad, he was going to teach my younger brothers and myself how to throw a punch. So he called us up to the study. He had like a little den or a study. He was sitting down there. He had all of my brothers sit on the couch. My sister was standing in the doorway. And he had me take off my shirt. And he has this big cup of his brandy he kept drinking from. And he goes, I'm going to show y'all how to throw a punch. He goes, but I want you to throw a punch first, boy. Punch me right in the chest. Now, I'm scared to death, right? So I attempt to throw a punch, and he's like, that's a slap. And so then he would punch me, knock me into the wall the first time. I got back up, and then this process continued, and then he hit me again, knocked me into the back. He knocked me, you know, he knocked me back. I lost my balance, hit my head on the back of the TV, and I busted my head open. But that was kind of like entertainment for him. You know, he got a kick out of it. You know, and I so I was starting to say in 1998 I had my first son. Actually, my wife was still pregnant. And as, as strange as this may sound to you, Greg, or to you, Mr. Patterson, I started having dreams and nightmares of what I went through as a child myself. And I thought I had closure. In my book, you're going to read about how I came to learn. I, I came to. I found the ability to forgive my dad completely and fully. And that's a wonderful thing. And I want to hit on that again in a minute, but um, I guess I was still carrying around some unforgiveness toward my stepfather, some anger, some resentment and true hatred toward him. I didn't know how to deal with it as a new Christian. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm being a hundred percent, truthful when I tell you this. God, not an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit kept telling me, I have forgiven you. Who are you not to forgive? And 
one particular day, I made a conscious a conscious choice to forgive him, to forgive him completely. And this is the thing, Mr. Patterson. He didn't come tell me he was sorry. Much like Jesus Christ, before he died on the cross, when he was being whipped and scourged and all those things, did he go willingly on that cross after people apologized? No, he did not. He he went on that cross in spite of them, and in spite of their sin, because he loved them that much. So when I found that ability to forgive him, it set me free, free, hundred percent free, and not only that, but it it was no longer killing me on the inside because he was renting space in my mind. Although he was living in Madison, Wisconsin. And I've been separated separated from him for many years, and I have no relationship with him whatsoever. And he was doing his thing, getting high or living high on the hog. Whatever he was doing, he was still affecting me. But after that particular day, that all stopped. And I mentioned before how I was always trying to buy acceptance from my mother and from my stepdad, always trying to make them like me. Trying to keep the peace by, you know, I'd go to the drugstore and buy my mom a coffee mug or a throw rug for her kitchen. I'd buy my stepdad his favorite candy. But no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no matter how hard I worked around the house, it was never, ever, ever good enough. But guess what? When I put my trust in Christ, John chapter 1, he gives us the right to become his children. We are adopted into his family. In spite of my scars, in spite of my in spite of my baggage, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my whatever, and God has taken that. He has taken my past, my experiences, my personality, and He's used it for His for His purposes. I know what it's like to be homeless as an adult. I know what it's like to be homeless as a child. I know what it's like to be in jail. I know what it's like to be to have no food. I know these things. So it's not above me. And there's so many people out there in the world, in particular the United States, that have a case, have a history, a past much, much worse than myself. So I am not here today, sir, just so we're clear, trying to say, hey, look at me, poor me. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I found this secret, and this secret is through Jesus Christ and his power and his might, and through his, you know, his love, man, his mercy, his grace. And he's he's woven everything together. He's accepted me as I am, Second Corinthians chapter 5. And through him I become a new creation. And I have a value of beyond measure. And I want to tell everyone who's listening that no matter what you've been told as a child, or even as an adult, maybe you're in a bad relationship, maybe you're you had a divorce, and your husband, ex-husband, your wife made you feel like garbage, made you feel like lower than low. That's a lie. Don't believe the lie because you are created in his image, first of all, and you have a purpose and a plan and a calling on your life. Obviously, I don't know what that is. And we hit on before about suicide. Listen, man. Suicide is an awful thing, and it's an epidemic. And the thing is, there's people that take their own lives because people don't invest in them. In other words, so, I mean, if my brother Greg, if he didn't have the internal fortitude, fortitude, excuse me, to press on throughout his military career and his services, his service with the federal government, he might have given up on life. I may have given up on life. But I can promise you, God was orchestrating things from the very beginning. And you say, well, how can God allow those bad things to happen to us that happened? It's because of sin, right? It's because of the fallenness of man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And and through and through all that, it forged you, gentlemen, into being the men that you are today. You know, sir, I I, I, I want to encourage people. 
I want to encourage people to never give up, to never quit. Your condition does not have to be your conclusion. And let me break it down for you. So I shared my story, but I want to go a little further and tell you something. I'll get a little emotional. I have two sons today, 19 and 21, and I can tell you I've broken that cycle. They don't know what it's like to be locked in the basement. They don't know what it's like to be beaten for no reason. They don't know what it's like to go without food. They don't know what that's like. I've broken that cycle, and you can too. It's true. I discovered some years ago my mother had an extremely bad childhood. My stepfather had an extremely rough childhood. My father had an extremely rough childhood. But that did not give them the right to do what they did. Just because my stepdad was going through some changes in East St. Louis, Illinois, doesn't give him the license or the authority to do what he did, what happened to him, to us. You follow me? And if I die today, no one can ever take away from me the fact that my sons know what it is to be loved, know what it is to be cherished, know what it is to be wanted and accepted. You know, it's a funny thing. Ever since my kids were here as newborn babies, I would hug them and kiss them and tell them I love them. And today, oftentimes, as we're crossing paths like in the house, my sons would stop me and say, I need a hug, Dad. They call me Dada. And we still hug each other and they'll give me a, a peck on the cheek. You know how powerful that is? Yes, I do. That's huge. I had to, I had to, I had to, Amen, man. I had to, I had the unfortunate, and I mean the unfortunate opportunity to tell my father the man that, that I was today is because of the man that he wasn't. Mm. And, okay. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wish that more young men, you know, would have that mindset, but unfortunately it's two ways to go. You know, you, you could go the steel way or you can go the noodle way. You know what I mean? So none yes, of this sir. stuff, none of this stuff, life, life isn't easy. Nobody said it was going to be fair. Nobody said none of that. But at some point we have to make a choice of, of what kind of um, men we are or men we're going to be. And, you know, we talked mm-hmm. earlier in the show about the millennials of these young men, and, and I'm really disappointed in a lot of different ways because a lot of these young cats, man, don't even know how to change a tire, don't even know how to fix a flat tire, not on a bicycle, not on a car, nothing. And when it gets into relationships and having families and stuff, to me they're almost worthless men. So, I mean, how do they know how to do any of these other things that a woman would do? But listen, gentlemen, we're down to like the last minute or so of the show and Joe, I want you to really just tell people where to go get your book and all that good stuff, and how they can reach out to you. And then uh, I'm okay. gonna invite you know both you guys back when you drop your next book. So go for it, Joe. Let everybody know how they can get at you. Well, I, w- I wanted I wanted to issue a challenge real quick to your audience to really step up and these grown men out there, especially Christians. You know, hope and love is an action verb. And you know, identify young men in your life, in your in your realm of influence, and, and show them something different. You know, invest a little time in them because that is our future. A lot of these men don't know nothing because no one's taught them nothing. You know, and they're hungry right. for direction. They're hungry for structure. So that's a, that's a challenge that I'm dropping the gauntlet for your whole audience, Mr. Patterson. Thank you for the opportunity, sir. So appreciate you. Found, the book by Joe Patosi can be found on um, Amazon when the dust settled. Trina Rock in a Hard Place, Barnes & Noble, Zulon Press. Also, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to Joe Potosi, as well as Instagram and Twitter. Um, I want to thank you, Mr. Patterson, for this opportunity. I want to thank your staff, in particular, Olivia. She's awesome. She was awesome to work with. And I appreciate everything you've done, sir. I appreciate it, man, and good luck on your book, man, and 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 we'll keep you in prayer, and I hope you do likewise, and um, come back and see us when you get ready to drop your next book. Thank you so much, sir, and thank you for joining us, Greg. 
Hey, you're welcome, yes, brother. Sir. I love you. Mr. Patterson, thank you very Everybody, much. Everybody, uh, that was Mr. Joe Potosi, and we were talking about your condition does not have to be a conclusion. If you joined us late, uh, you can hear the whole show in its entirety in about two minutes, and it's available worldwide. Don't say you couldn't get it nowhere, because if you don't know how to get it, ask your mom or ask your daddy, ask your neighbor, or go across the street, ask the milkman. You have no excuse. The show is available on all the platforms. Come back next week. See your favorite host, Lamont Patterson. This is Canna Play a Play. Thank you very much for joining us, and have a blessed rest of your week. Awesome. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.